Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Download more sermons or learn about the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene at our website, capenazarene.org. Here's this week's message. This Sunday we continue the series on the Sermon on the Mount. It began with the Beatitudes, which had words like we just ended this hymn, Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth, and so, uh, and with that blessing, continue to uh, begin the sermon with a preface that said, "Hey, you're going to hear some things, but I want you to know I'm not changing anything. This is consistent with who God is and with Scripture." And then today we get into a little bit of what He's going to, some of the things He's going to talk about, uh, different areas of life He's going to hit throughout the sermon, and this one uh, begins with uh, verse 27 in chapter five. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, well, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, well, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. I, I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about how God has created us and begin with the story of creation. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2... Verse 20, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, there's a story of how uh, God created Adam and Eve, and he begins with this creation of creating Adam out of the dust and uh, forming it into clay. And, and we're going to hear this phrase, this Ash Wednesday, that we were created from dust. And there's a story of him creating humanity. And, and Adam is formed and shaped, and, and Adam, of course, is, is looking for help and looking for mate and asks God for help. And, and according to the story, Adam falls asleep, and, and uh, God removes a rib, and, and out, of, out of him becomes a woman, and, and, uh, and, and they are united and joined together, and God creates them. And this is just a part of the story of how we became man and woman. And, and this chapter 2 ends <coughs> in chapter 24 with... You have been made to cling together, to be united, to become one flesh. The, the, the wording in Genesis chapter 24 is, this has happened so that you would be united, become one flesh. It might be said that the opening words of that verse, this is why, means the whole point of this rib creation narrative is not to tell us a history lesson, but to teach us a relationship lesson. That this story is a story meant to point out 
that man and woman are the same. They are made from the same substance. They are, they are together. There is no, there's no superiority. There's, there's nothing of that sort. That they were made together and made to be together. And that we are, from the very beginning, created for relationship. That relationship is absolutely important and essential to our life. As the creation story continues on and Genesis continues on, we hear more about how important relationships are in some broken relationships. Cain and Abel, they're brothers. Cain kills Abel and he's cursed and he's kicked out of a community. And we find that immediately he is removed from the relationships he would have had with his family. And the story continues to tell a little bit about who he is and his lineage and what his children will end up doing. In fact, we find throughout Genesis and some other books all kinds of genealogies that are created, uh, not only of Cain's children, but then of Adam and Eve's next child, Seth. And these genealogies are often there to show us who is related to those who are still in good standing, who are still have a good relationship with the Lord. And oftentimes, those whom the people of God end up fighting in Scripture are said to be the descendants of the various people who came from, like Cain, or others who messed up along the way. And I think you can kind of say about these stories and these histories that are based on backgrounds and genealogies, that the whole background mindset, the whole worldview, is that everything is based on being in a right relationship. And what the scriptures want to show us is these are people who are tied to and connected with the covenant of God, connected with God's promise. If you are in a right relationship, in the case of much of the Old Testament, well then you are part of the lineage of those who are faithful to the covenant, whether it's Seth or Noah or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. But if you're among the people who are opposed to God's people, if you're among the people who are not a part of God's promise, then you must be a descendant of Cain or of Esau or any number of people who have kind of acted against God's plan. You're outside the covenant. You're outside the grace of God. And so we find even in these very kind of historical renderings of kind of how they've come to understand the world and how they see things have developed, we find in that story that it's all related to God's promises and uh, being related to God's, uh, God's hope for them. Paul will end up, and this will, this will continue to develop where they start to realize that, uh, uh, that these stories are always related to what God is doing. As this will develop, it'll kind of get twisted a little bit. They'll kind of put the cart before the horse and it'll start to become a story of if you're a part of the, the genealogy, if you're part of the lineage, then you're in the right relationship with God. Then you have, then you have a claim. And, and it starts to get warped in that way until Paul reminds them in Romans chapter 9, verse 7, not all of Abraham's children are his descendants. The descendants are those who are descendants of the promise, he says. Time and time again, we find in in the stories of the Old Testament, that God's blessing doesn't always go where they expect there to be blessing. And this is why I think in the Old Testament there's a big deal about blessings. 
Because the blessings of those, uh, of their children and passing on the blessing, they're saying, you are a part of the promise that God made with me and with my forefathers and your forefathers and on and on and on, all the way back to Abraham or Noah or Adam. You are a part of God's plan. That's what the blessing is doing. But again and again in Scripture, we find that the blessing often gets passed over the one we would expect it to go to. And so it goes to Jacob instead of Esau. It goes to Joseph over the other children of Isaac. It goes to David over his older brothers. And all of this leads up to us being able to understand that when Paul says not all of Abraham's children are his descendants, he's not a radical interpreter of the Old Testament. But he recognized that all this story has its foundations on the grace of God who's already indicated that genes have nothing to do with promises. Instead, everything that one, everything at all with the promise of God is tied to having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another. This leads us to recognize a very important truth about God. He cares about relationships. He has made us for relationship, and this is of the utmost importance for him. His most popular analogy that I found in Scripture to talk about his relationship with his people is that of a marriage. It's often used throughout the prophets. His faithfulness, God's faithfulness, is often compared to that of a faithful spouse. He is one who is always there. He's one who is, uh, who is, is the faithful spouse no matter what. And the unfaithfulness of the people of God who are trying their best to follow God but often find themselves chasing other gods or, or doing things their own way is often compared to a cheating spouse or a prostitute, someone who is not interested at all in being faithful. And so when we get to this passage in the Beatitudes... And Jesus talks to them about adultery. You get to see how important indeed relationships are to God. You can see why he makes a big deal about adultery. Our marriages, whether our marriages are now or previous marriages or marriages to come in the future, are an ongoing testimony of the love of God. If our God uses a marriage as the primary illustration of his faithfulness, then I think that we can also say our marriages are meant to kind of serve as a kind of looking glass into the love and faithfulness of God. That everything about our marriages are supposed to show and reflect that our God has always been faithful to us. And this is why a big deal is made out of adultery. And I need you to understand that, of course, a good deal of this part of the sermon about adultery is what the rhetoricians, speech experts, call hyperbole, (laughs) skillful exaggeration to get a point across. Uh, In early 2011, uh, there was a singer, you probably heard his name before, he's he's a popular singer named Bruno Mars, who had another number one hit on Billboard Hot 100, the standard musical ranking of what's most popular today. And uh, in 2011, he had another top one hit, and the song was a classic lesson in hyperbole. As he sang what he was willing to do for the one that he loved, even though she wasn't willing to reciprocate that love. His song was called Grenade. And so he sang, I would catch a grenade for you. 
I throw my hand on a blade for you. I jump in front of a train for you. I, I, I go through all this pain, take a bullet straight through the brain. Like, like these is his words. And we heard this, and this was like the number one song. And we hear this song, and we think two things. One, there can indeed be a love strong enough that, hey, I'm going to risk everything for the person I love. I'd die for this. I would do anything for this one. Okay, we, we get that. But we also understand He's using the strongest language he can to illustrate the depth of his love. Those things don't have to happen. (laughs) Indeed, they shouldn't happen. It's poetic hyperbole. Uh, And so in the same way, this adultery passage is also a lot of hyperbole. If we become self-mutilators, we've missed the point. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus is serious about lust. But we're not supposed to, you know, delim ourselves uh, any more than Bruno is supposed to jump in front of a train to prove his love. And so we hear this passage, and it's easy then to turn it into also a new form of legalism. You better not mess up or, you know, strike the place with fire for you. And Jesus, I don't think, is introducing a new pharisaical legalism, but I assure you, Jesus is absolutely serious about how important it is to be faithful. Our God is a relational God. And if we're going to be flippant and eh, whatever about our, about our relationships that God places in our lives, then how, how lackadaisical are we going to be with the grace that God puts in our lives? How flippant do we want Him to be with the promises He's made with us? You know that covenantal promise, Jesus said, whosoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. I know, I, I summed up the verse. Uh, we don't want God to ever be like, eh, whatever, I don't, I'm not feeling it today, or well, you weren't faithful, so now I'm not. No, we're called to practice with our bodies faithfulness, to practice what we pray every week, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so his faithfulness becomes our faithfulness and the relationships that we have. And so this continues on with the statement about divorce as well. And this statement of divorce, again, I don't think is a fallback into legalism for us to now say, okay, here's the new laws. But it's a reminder for us that these relationships are hard and they take work. As an act meant to reflect the love of God... Fidelity of body and commitment is of the utmost importance. And God could have left. God, uh, throughout Scripture, when when people were unfaithful, He could say, okay, I'm done with you guys. I've got to find another group of people. But, uh, But that possibility is all the more heavy when we realize He did not do that. He could have chose otherwise, and he did not. He said, I'm going to be faithful to who I am and who I've chosen no matter what. And what we find again and again in the Scriptures is God renews that promise. God restores people. And he restores covenants base even when people are unable to fulfill them. He understands that sometimes people need a restart. And so I have found... Indeed, celebrated with people what God has done in their lives and even in second, third marriages. 
based on where, where they are right now. And to come and find that sometimes God does something and surprises us and helps us in ways that we can't believe. But let us be committed to the relationships that we are in because today God, we are exemplifying and we are putting a window into the love that God has today as well. And that kind of commitment takes time and is necessary to fulfill that marriage. And I think that's why when you get to the part about oaths, I think oaths are diminished. He says, hey, you're not going to make promises, you're not going to make oaths, let your yes be yes. Just yes, yes, or no, no, that's it. We see pro- but we do see promises throughout Scripture. Pledges are made by prophets and kings to the Lord. In fact, sometimes prophets put, uh, when, when talking about what the Lord promises to do, it sounds a whole lot like an oath. And it's coming from the mouth of the Lord. Yet in the context of the God who cares about relationships, indeed has built us for relationships with Him and one another, He says, what you say doesn't matter nearly as much as how you live it out towards one another. When you go through marriage, we are building on the love that is professed. Uh, Without a doubt, my marriage started with an oath, with a promise to have and to hold, for better or for worse, sickness and in health, right? That That was a promise, that was an oath. And never walking that back. Like that is that is that was a promise. Uh, love and keep and cherish. But that promise, those words, are lived out day to day. Early in marriage, it's learning to live together, learning how to share space together. Later on, it's learning how to raise children together. It's your turn to change the diaper. No, it's your turn. <laughs> right? Getting sick together becoming vulnerable, worrying together about what's going to happen next or where we're going or what's happening, celebrating together. Our children made it, a a child made it to adulthood. We can do it. (laughs) They survived, (laughs) right? right? These kinds of things, each and every moment going through all those various aspects is saying yes to each other. And if at any point in time there is stress, there is uh, disagreement, there is things are so hard right now. And if at any point in time one of us were to seek refuge in the arms of another, that would be a resounding no to that relationship. Each mo- and so, without a doubt, I think when Jesus talks about oaths and whether to swear or not swear, whether to promise or not promise... It is about living our lives in a way that we are constantly affirming the relationships that we are a part of. And that just saying a word one time isn't enough no matter how emphatic you are. The most important thing is how that is lived out. And that is the case indeed with our relationship with God as well. Each moment of our walk with God, we are saying yes or no to Him. We're living in faithfulness to Him or we're living in faithfulness to another. We're living out the faith and we're living out the promise of God or we're living in spiritual adultery. The good news is that where there has been unfaithfulness to God, where there has been spiritual adultery, there is always extended forgiveness 
of God because God has embodied faithfulness. And he has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Yes, even if that spiritual adultery has indeed turned into physical adultery, or if it has turned into a broken relationship and divorce. Yet nonetheless, God has promised his constancy in our life. And there's still the grace of God. A grace that, as Jesus said to those around him, that he realized fit this description. He he just says, well, go and sin no more. And invites us into the promise and into the practice of fidelity that can begin today. And that is part of the promise that Jesus shares here. And so we can say, yeah, uh, he hasn't changed anything about the law, but he has really embodied it and showed that what primarily God has always been about is the relationships that he has given. And he invites us to walk faithfully in that and to allow our God to strengthen that as well. In a moment, we are going to uh, receive communion. And we, it, is, it is a common practice where we just uh, come and we receive the bread and we receive the juice. But it is a, always a constant walk of faithfulness. There's a part of me that likes, I've been in churches where communion is, is passed out on, uh, on trays and, and sent down the rows. And that's a perfectly fine way of doing it. But there's a part of me that loves that we make the walk the walk of faithfulness, a constant putting ourselves before God, a, a, a purposeful commitment and dedication was made when we were baptized or was made when we accepted Jesus as our personal Savior, that we will continue to walk faithfully each day of our life. And that is modeled when we walk faithfully to receive the emblems that represent the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive that grace in this sacrament. And so today, as we prepare our hearts for that, I hope and I pray that we will continue to say, yes, I'm going to walk faithfully in the relationships God has given me and that I am in today. And, that was, and I have spoken a lot about relationships and not just marriage today because I recognize that even in singleness, there are relationships God puts in our lives that are important. And God wants to bless And be with us and support us in those relationships as well. And our God is one who promises to be with us and will be faithful. And it is my hope and my prayer that we find in the relationships that we have that indeed God's love is exercised there as well and becomes evident to everyone in that relationship and those who look and say, what is the love of God like? Oh, is it like that friendship? Is it like that marriage? Is it like this? Let's go before him. Be faithful in that walk. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in a moment we are going to walk forward and we're going to receive the elements. It's something that we do fairly regularly. This is is our habit. This is our ritual. This is our testimony of faith and openness to your grace. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to testify to your grace again and again through the commitments you have allowed us to make, the commitments of friendship, the commitments of love, uh, the commitments of family. Heavenly Father, may the relationships you have given us be one where we recognize that you can be honored and indeed we can point a window to your constant fidelity. 
Thank you again for your love. Thank you for the grace that you've had to love me when I didn't deserve it, to, to love me when I, I had fallen short, to, to, to constantly be available for me when I mess up. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and your faithfulness there. Help us to be faithful to you. We believe that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God richly bless you as you serve him today.